90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing really well. How about yourself? I'm tired and I'm hot. (laughs) You know, I can commiserate with tired, but I will say this is the nicest weather we've ever had out here. Well, I mean, it started out with snow, so I'm assuming it stayed (laughs) relatively cool. (laughs) So it has, but what was weird is that week before they got the snow, they were in the hundreds. Like, they had a hundred degree day. And then they got like 19 inches of snow. Uh Uh-huh. And then we haven't had a day above 92. (laughs) That's insane. Uh Uh-huh. And in fact, two days ago, the high was 71. And on Sunday, the high is supposed to be 63, which is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and normally it's, you know, blazing sun, high oh. 90s, low 100s, mm-hmm. gnats everywhere. And now, the gnats are still everywhere. <laughs> They're still here. But, um, yeah, usually by this time, more than half the times at camp, we'll have to start getting up and going out into the field at 5 a.m. And coming right. in early because it's so hot. So it has been... Amazing. We are we are going out very early tomorrow, but just because we have to drive a little ways to get to get out, and then um, by the time we talk next week, another field camp in the books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. I'm very excited. <laughs> well, Saturday here we're supposed to hit just over a hundred. Mm, True have, temperature. Have fun. I'll send you pictures. We're going to Cripple Creek to go to the mine, and it's going to be, you know, very chilly. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be amazing. Uh-huh. Yep. I'll send gloating pictures. Don't you worry. <laughs> I, I expect it. Yep. <laughs> I'm actually, I will say, I'm actually very proud of us for a couple of reasons. Oh, why is that? <laughs> I'm proud of us for actually having summer shorts this year. It might be the first year we've ever actually done it. And we're going to keep on a theme, which is impressive. Yeah, so we're going to stay on the theme of weird things in geoscience. <laughs> and uh, also we're going to stay on the theme of singing. Exactly. I mean, ice is a mineral, right? Ice is a mineral. Throw back to one of the very early, early shows. Uh, so ice is a mineral, and this week we've talked about singing sand. We've talked about melodic rocks. Now we're going to talk about singing icebergs. <laughs> These sounds are amazing, I will say. Um, I spent more time listening to recordings of this than I did reading the papers we are talking about. <laughs> so if everybody holds out their... Right hand, their index and middle finger pointing straight forward and goes pew, pew. <laughs> like the Star Wars guns. That's what this sounds like. Yeah. I thought, like, I read that and instinctively I knew what that was. But, yeah. <laughs> like, that is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> Which, if I remember right, I think the original sample for that was somebody hitting a guy wire on an antenna tower with a yes. wrench. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. We played that game at my house, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it does sound exactly like that. And so, yeah, I, 
I was like, we've got to keep on this. Uh, we got to keep on this singing things. And uh, yeah, I even found someone who is a composer who makes music strictly from sounds in the natural world. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she has that a whole... That sounds like a future guest. Uh, yeah, she has this whole blog post. Um, well, yeah. Actually, her blog is called Music from the Ice. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And it's very interesting. It's, um, yeah, she's still, well, she's going until 2020 at least. But it's over 12 years, and she's been to Antarctica, Palmer Station, and all this stuff, doing recording ice and then making actual composing music out of the sound she's recorded from ice. Nice. So why does it sound like pew-pew? That's the fundamental question. Because <laughs> this is not you're standing on the surface of the ice. I mean, maybe in some cases, but most of the time, we're hearing it through hydrophones, which are kind of like geophones that you stick in the water, and they measure sound that travels through the water. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the key, is it's traveling through water in some state, liquid or solid. And you really can't ask for a much better medium to travel <laughs> through if you're sound. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. But it does this funny thing called dispersion. <laughs> and, I mean, this happens everywhere, right? I thought something that was interesting was, like, what's the difference between music and just this sound, right? And so it, this dispersion of these sound waves, um, it's really cool how they interact and then make these things that can be classified as music. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so it's got distinct tones. Mm-hmm, yeah. Not just white noise. Right. Not just a rumble, but it's a series of distinct tones. And the, the dispersion effect, really, is that the higher frequency waves are going to travel faster. Yes. And this is because of their phase velocity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can, if you want to review, go back and look at phase velocity and group velocity. Uh, and you can talk about dispersion, why certain materials are dispersive, and, and so on. Sound in air itself is not really that dispersive. We can trace that back to this being a sound wave is a compression wave that's traveling through the air, and it's a roughly adiabatic process. Okay. Meaning that no heat is exchanged with the environment. Mm-hmm. Once we start going through a solid, though, all bets are off because a lot of these solids do indeed disperse waves. So they separate into their frequency components over time okay. as the wave travels. And that gives you that pew sound <laughs> because the higher frequency waves reach you first. Now, if somebody tells you that that is the reason that thunder sounds the way it does is the sharp crack at first and then the rumble... They're full of it. That has nothing to do with dispersion. <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. Because <laughs> I've, I've heard that several times, and that, it, you know, that has to do with the actual physical process and the fact that it's not adiabatic because you're injecting a <laughs> lot of heat. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, uh, I thought yeah, that... To go back to it, to eyes, it's just, fundamentally, it's just because of physics. Yeah, there you go. 
Um, what I thought that was the story behind this, which is the Discover Magazine article about this, I thought was really cool because someone had recorded this in terms of not ice, but in terms of volcanoes too. Yeah, so NVT, non-volcanic tremor for the earthquake world or volcanic tremor for the volcanologist. Mm, okay. Um, NVT is, I would classify it more as the rumbling. But yeah, in volcanoes, you get all these weird, repeating, distinct frequencies as magma moves through tubes, which sounds an awful lot like air moving through an instrument. And it sets up these resonances and vibrations that have... You know, up to, I think one of them had 30 overtones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, oh, that's really weird. I had never heard of that at all. You can, uh, we had a colloquium speaker at Penn State years ago that looked at volcanic tremor, and they played, they, they basically <gasps> take the seismogram and squeeze it in time so that it's in the audible range for us lowly humans that can't hear below about 20 hertz. <laughs> and it's really cool. That, it's exactly what you would imagine fluid flowing through a big tube to sound like. That is awesome. Wow. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, so so you can do that there. And then, yeah, you can do it. Basically, you know, you get little earthquakes and ice, right? And so it's the same thing. That's really neat. And one of the, uh, one of the cool early recordings from Hydrophones that was not recognized for years as being an ice quake because it was pretty distant. So you get a lot of high-frequency attenuation. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called the Big Bloop. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Big Bloop? I had not. Um, and I actually still didn't even hear it on here, but this was, that's very funny. Had you heard of it before this? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> it's, there's actually a whole NOAA page dedicated to it. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, no, they were listening on this hydrophone array and just heard it sounds, it, if you drop an orange in a bathtub, that's kind of what it sounded like. <laughs> and they didn't know what it was, so they called it the Big Bloop. And eventually with more hydrophone arrays and some uh, back azimuth tracing and correlating the back azimuth traces with high-rate satellite photos over an ice field, they were finally able to prove that this is indeed icebergs falling into the ocean. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> so the sound you would make if you were watching a video of an iceberg falling into the ocean. <laughs> the sound that Hazel yes. would make. Yeah, exactly. If you showed her a video of this. Bloop. She would go bloop. <laughs> yep. Oh, that is so awesome. Um, yeah, this is really cool. Uh, having not grown up around ice at all <laughs> you know i think instinctively i knew this would happen but it's neat that you can just walk outside in these seasonal changes you know especially when the ice is moving around morning and night and you can get all this it's pretty neat yeah we need to put a hydrophone in your iced sweet tea and see if you can get it Ex ex exactly <laughs> You it's about the only ice in Oklahoma. No <laughs> kidding. God, I'm, I'm just going to stay here, I think. It's funny because, like, it gets so bright, you know, so early here, and the differential heating just in our cabins 
here at our camp does it too. And I think it's very funny. It sounds like somebody's like leaning up against the side of the cabin and trying to push it over in the morning. And it's just all the differential heating and expansion. I did really love, uh, you know, we've had Gary McManus on from the OCS Oklahoma climatological survey before, um, in one of his emails this week, he said, uh, don't forget, it's going to be really hot, so uh, make sure you come inside by about 1130 and don't go back out until November. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's literally been on fire this week. There's some really good Muzzinet tickers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to send him a personal thank you for the Kurt Russell hair thermometer. <laughs> yes. But we digress, as always. As always. <laughs> um, I thought it was very interesting, too, in this Discover Magazine article that, you know, they're interviewing this researcher, and they say, this is a really cool, was it, Vera Schleindwein? I think. Schleindwein? I would go with that. Okay. Um and how she says, this is a super cool thing, but it's real hard to get funding for because what are the practical purposes of just recording melodies in the ice? <laughs> but she did say that it's something that she keeps doing on her other funded projects is kind of her her hobby project. Mm-hmm. And what better thing to get people involved than listening to all these really cool sounds? Exactly. I mean, really. So I found, like I said, I found this person who was a... Sounds of Nature composer, and that's pretty awesome. So, there you go. We've had singing sand, melodic rocks. Now we have singing icebergs that you can replicate on any icy surface with a hydrophone. Yeah. Awesome. I I did like, in one of the articles, it may have been the Discover one, they said just by walking on an ice-covered lake, you were creating the, what they say, the Battle of Hoth beneath you or something like that. (laughs) That was awesome. And then I... Might have sketched a picture of a fish with a ray gun. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Look, I had some small amount of extra time today. <laughs> See, if the stormtroopers were underwater, the refraction would explain their bad aim. But there's no explanation otherwise. <laughs> Eric's is a fluid, John. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, I don't understand why you'd make that stupid comment. (laughs) Well, to answer that question, it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. (laughs) Yay. Uh, This is one of my favorite ones we've done in a long time, and I've already sent it to my grad students. (laughs) Yes. So thanks to our third (laughs) co-host, Daryl, who sent this in. And it's actually not the paper I had picked out for this week, but when he sent it, I said, oh, we we must do this. Yes. <laughs> it's called The Importance of Stupidity in Scientific Research by Schwartz. This is, this is so great, right? And so this is in the Journal of Cell Science. And we have, okay, so we implemented, which I think is this great program that we have, this intro grad student seminar. Now, and it's basically trying to introduce all of our brand new grad students, PhD or masters, to all the people in the department, right? So we all take turns, like teaching a week. You know, I talk about the geodynamo and 
all this stuff, but I'm absolutely assigning this paper. Like this is going to be part of their homework that they do for my week. Yeah. So at Penn State, we had that class. We called it Issues in Geoscience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you had to go to colloquium and every week had to write a little report on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was sort of a grad school 101 slash get to know your students and your cohort slash get to know your professors. Mm -hmm. And this is so cool because basically what Schwartz is saying is in this (laughs) is that science makes you feel stupid and that's okay. (laughs) Well, he says he saw an old friend who had been a PhD student at the same time, who had left grad school and gone on to become a successful lawyer. And she said she left because it made her feel stupid. And after a few years of feeling stupid every day, she decided she wanted to do something else. (laughs) Um, He said, well, she was one of the brightest people I knew, and her subsequent career supported that. Um, So he kept thinking about this. And (laughs) this is my favorite two sentences ever. Science makes me feel stupid, too. It's just that I've gotten used to it. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. So used to it, in fact, that I actively seek out new opportunities to feel stupid. (laughs) I I wouldn't know what to do without that feeling. (laughs) You can't explain that to someone just starting. And that's exactly right, though. I see it every day. I'll introduce some... A student will ask me a question, and the answer lies in a realm that they haven't investigated yet and they get frustrated instead of being excited about it. Yeah. And I don't know, like I I don't know where in your career you get that, but at some point you just realize that nobody actually knows how to do the thing that you're thinking about doing. Yes, it was exactly. Somebody's going to have to figure it out and it might as well be you. Exactly. So he goes on to say that exact thing. He said that I had this research problem and I asked this guy who happened to win a no pro prize two years later. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know how you solve that. (laughs) And that was his aha moment of realizing that no one knows anything. Right. Like, no one knows anything, and the more you know, effectively, you realize that you don't know an infinite amount, and that's okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've said it so many times this summer, I feel like, but it's like, that's okay that you don't know it. They get frustrated, the students, that they don't know the thing, but it's okay. No one knows all the stuff, and until... I think you realize it when you ask somebody that's really smart, and instead of making something up, they say, I don't know that either. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, another one-liner. Research is immersion in the unknown. We just don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And that's okay. (laughs) And he also says, which this is so true, and speaks to what you were saying about being a a grad student not realizing this, we don't do a good enough job of teaching our students how to be productively stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love this. <laughs> if we don't feel stupid, it means we're not really trying. <laughs> and I love this, no. too. He said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not talking about relative stupidity, in which the other students in the class actually read the material, think about an AC exam, and you don't. <laughs> like... It's so true. And our whole system of like 
grading based on that makes this other concept, the productive stupidity, even harder, I think. Well, there's also a little dig in here, too, uh, <laughs> talking about exams. He says, the point of an exam isn't to see if the student gets all of the answers right. If they do, it's the faculty who failed the exam. Yes. <laughs> so I do oral exams. My predecessor did that. I, I had never been a part of this. I'd never had an oral exam. You, you did. Um, but in his class, and so now I teach that class, and I said, this is a great idea because I remember, and this is a story I tell when I say, why do I do this? At my first big girl job, I got called in to an investment meeting because, you know, I know a lot about that. <laughs> and I had to show my maps to these investors. And I remember my hand and my voice shaking when I was talking to this guy. And I was so nervous. And so I do these oral exams so students can get nervous in front of me instead of their first boss. Right? That's the whole point. And I also tell them, they're like, well, what are you going to ask me? And I tell them, like, I'm going to ask you really hard questions if you're a good student. And it's okay if you don't know the answer. That's not the point. So seeing this validated me so much. And I was very excited. <laughs> yeah. And really the way that most oral exams I've had have gone is they take you up to the point mm -hmm. where you don't know. Yeah. So they'll ask you questions, you answer that one right, you get a harder one. You answer that one right, you get a harder one. Yeah. You answer that one right, you get a harder one. Until you start answering stuff not totally right. And then they ride that line for the rest of the exam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And frequently, at least in the some of the PhD exams I've been in, you know, you're riding that line together and the faculty are asking these questions. And then when the student's like, I don't know. And then the faculty start to ask each other, and everyone's like, I don't know. And then you're like, okay, there's your question. Go. <laughs> I had a couple faculty uh, who may or may not listen. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but we had a couple get in a very heated debate for yes. part of my <laughs> candidacy exam. Like, for a second, I could step back and just let the debate rage. <laughs> I was told that's what you want. I was told to get two people on your committee that that don't agree and then you won't have to answer as many questions because they just fight the whole time. <laughs> and honestly, I learned as much from that as I did from the rest of the exam. Uh, it, absolutely true. <laughs> because I watched two very cogent arguments be formed mm -hmm. and nobody came out on top. Yep, exactly. And then just, yeah. <laughs> so, I think this is a really important point. It's hard to tell people this until they get to that point where they're okay saying, man, I am, I am dumb <laughs> and it's okay. This, this last paragraph, which begins productive stupidity means being ignorant by choice, by choice. <laughs> One of the beautiful things about science is that it allows us to bumble along, getting it wrong time after time and feel perfectly fine as long as we learn something each time. Oh, I'm going to make that my my email signature. I'm going to put that in every NSF grant proposal I put in ever. Now. Amen <laughs> to that. And you're just going to write Schwartz 2008. <laughs> Will this work? We're not totally sure, but that's why you should fund it. Exactly. Oh, it's so true. And it's like the way that we, yeah. Yeah. This is fantastic. I'm very sad. This has not been 
more highly distributed, and I am so happy Daryl sent this in this week. <laughs> yeah, so Daryl, I am sending this around to quite a few uh, Department of Graduate School heads oh, this yes. week. Mm-hmm. Because, like, like Shannon said, this needs to be in every intro to grad school course. Oh, absolutely it does. This was a great find. And it certainly made me feel better about myself while I was taking a taking a day off and writing my manuscript. <laughs> well, and this podcast makes me feel stupid every week. Oh, man. That's exactly right. <laughs> Most of the time, one of us plans it, and we tell the other one what the plan is going to be. And we say, a what? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And we have to go read papers and get up to speed on whatever this thing is. Yeah. And then you have a math paper about toilet rolls. (laughs) And I think, I have a math minor and I don't understand any of this. I've had more than one person tell me that they have actively thought about if they are a big or a little role person after so that show. So have I. That was a shockingly popular paper for how densely written it was. <laughs> more, more genius of Donald Knuth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if you would like to tell us how science makes you feel stupid, we'd love to hear it. Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? Please do. Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And sometimes we're hanging out on the Slack channel. Lots of stupid stuff goes down on most of my Slack channels, so get in there. It's the Don't Panic channel on the Software Underground. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support our important research here, you can do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Bloop. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.